Hello, my dear listener, and welcome to Is This It? I'm your host, Donna Greenberger, and I'm here to have meaningful conversations with talented and purpose-driven people to discover what mindset allowed them to overcome their greatest challenges and achieve success, and share it with you so you can do the same. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider joining my exclusive Patreon community to support the show and unlock bonus content. By using some of the tools or just by simply being aware, we can lengthen that gap between in reaction, right? Instead of being reactive, we'll receive an email instead of straight away typing out three word answer and sending it. You can actually take the time to respond, take the time to think about it, take the time to calm down yourself and respond to it more effectively. And uh, that's when I was like, well, there's something happening here. I, I didn't, I'm still in the same situation. I still can barely walk. I still live exactly where I was a week ago, but I feel more calm, at ease, and acceptant of the situation. And, and I felt better. On today's episode, breathwork specialist and coach Arthur Paulinch. Hi, Arthur. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So tell me, for somebody that has no idea what is breathwork, could you explain it to us? Yes. So uh, first of all, I'm sure people have been breathing for a while and they know how to do it really well. I should hope so. <laughs> yes. And uh, But there are some nuances that can be improved or learned. And I see breath work um, almost in a spectrum. There's different ways of using the breath for particular outcomes. On one side, it can be quite a practical tool to regulate the nervous system. and use uh, different breathing techniques or just having knowledge about uh, functional ways of breathing that can help improve respiratory function, help with conditions like asthma or hay fever or, or just improving the efficiency of breathing for athletic performance. Then somewhere in the middle could be techniques uh, for, let's say, meditation or, or something that can help you calm your mind and use breathing in a way as a tool for day-to-day -day practice where you are becoming more aware of internal state, internal psychological state, and also becoming more aware, more aware of your nervous system state. And, and on another extreme, it can be quite a transformational, intense experience that is quite therapeutic uh, if it's done uh, more of a, in an intensive way of breathing. Okay. I was just about to ask you... Um... So what are the kind of day-to-day -day problems or pain points that people could solve by learning some breathing exercises? So there's quite a few that are practical, like you said, hay fever, maybe breathing better at night even. But there's also a lot of mental and psychological benefits that you could have. So what would you say is the best way for people to learn this sort of practice? I think oftentimes people come to breath work and and they hear about it perhaps, and uh, the biggest curiosity I find with people is them dealing with anxiety or, or overwhelm and, and being able to regulate the state of mind more effectively. And because uh, as we are now in London, there's so many people living here who lead quite intense lifestyles, busy lives, family, kids, work, commitments, all those things are drawing on people's attention and being able to regulate your nervous system uh, can be a really useful tool. And um, perhaps initially it's, it's a search for 
something that could can alleviate the anxiety. And the good thing is about using the breath is that it can influence the nervous system more directly. Instead of downloading another mindfulness app and sitting down and trying to calm your mind by using your mind and wrestling your mind and trying to, or allowing it to settle can take some time, right? But with use of your breathing, you can actually actively influence the state of the nervous system. So your physiology, your body relaxes and is on, is now more, is now more on a high alert. And then once your body has calmed down, once your nervous system is a bit more at ease, then you can actually notice the gaps between your thoughts without them racing. Very interesting. So basically you're saying that it is like a little super power tool that you can just take and hijack whatever not unpleasant but stressful situation for example when you feel when you feel exactly that you are not in control of yourself that your mind is racing that your your heart is beating and you're not really sure what to do of course in these sorts of moments it's very hard to as you said use your mind to calm yourself down so breath is a physical interrupter a physical tool that you can use to just make impact and make a change in that moment and instant absolutely it's it's practical it's direct and the breath is always in the present moment so when you pay attention to your breathing it can doesn't make sense to pay attention to the breath that happened a couple of moments ago or think of the breath that's going to happen in a minute or two it's always now and it's current state so it's oftentimes indicator how you're feeling so if you are if you're just becoming stressed or you're feeling stress creeping up your breathing already might be changing and accelerating uh, so you can catch yourself early uh, when it starts to spiral you can start slowing down your breathing or use particular pattern of breath and calm down the nervous system and then because when we're in this state of fight or flight when we are under pressure overwhelmed we are less likely to make good decisions good rational decisions in the moment and we're more likely to be reactive instead of responsive so actually having those what's the difference time time between input and output i really believe that by using some of the tools or just by simply being aware we can lengthen the gap between uh, in reaction right instead of being reactive we receive an email instead of straight away tapping out a three word answer and sending it you can actually take the time to respond take the time to think about it take the time to calm down yourself and respond to it more effectively so lengthening that gap and simple tools can be really effective for that so in my own experience because i've been introduced to yoga and meditation quite early on two things that i use are this three-stage pranayama breathing mm -hmm. which uh, helps me to settle my mind to calm myself and prime myself for the day in a very nice way and then for example if i feel that i'm drowsy or i need more energy i can use the fire breath so those are a couple of things that that i've used but i wanted to ask you whether you can guide us or or, or tell us or show us um, how to do a simple exercise mm. breathing exercise that you think could help people i reckon maybe something to do with stress or anxiety because that seems to be a big break these days yes. uh, especially in in the city in any sort of very active lifestyle places such as london or anywhere else where people are doing so something like that i think i, I usually like to share principles first 
because mm-hmm. I find that yeah. when people understand why particular things work or don't work, it's more likely to stick, and they can draw on the principle instead of drawing on uh, a prescriptive A B C D steps, right? And um, kind of easy principle to understand, especially for calming down the stage, relaxing, is understanding what's called respiratory sinus arrhythmia. By the way, you don't need to remember this. Okay, good. The simple <laughs> principle is that when we are inhaling, so people listening to this can try them for themselves. So if you just sit down quietly, try to find your pulse, and let's say trying to find your pulse, you can just pay attention when you are inhaling. So extending your inhales and exhales, still breathing through the nose. If you breathe in, you will notice that your heart rate will slightly accelerate. When you breathe out, it will slightly slow down. So that change called is called respiratory sinus arrhythmia. And this basically is a principle that we can leverage in understanding our nervous system. By simply extending our exhalations compared to our inhalations, we can calm ourselves down. So we spend more time in that phase of this arrhythmia when our heart rate slows down. So as simple as that, you can you can think of it in a very kind of very precise manner where you can inhale for three seconds, exhale for four seconds or for five. Or if you don't like counting in your head, in your mind, these seconds, you can just simply inhale slowly and try to exhale for a little bit longer and start prolonging those exhalations without forcing it to the point where you feel uncomfortable and out of breath. But by simply doing that, you will start regulating the nervous system. And with time, you will start paying attention to reactions of the body and really paying attention to being in your body. And with that sense of groundedness, you will actually realize that the stressful situation that you're facing is actually, even though your nervous system is perceiving it as a survival threat, in reality, you probably are sitting in a cozy, warm, comfortable room and you had your food, you your, you had your water, you're safe. It's Nobody's just, chasing after you. Exactly. But you are in the in this stressful situation that's created through your mind. So you can actually come back to your body, realize what's happening right now, that you are not in great danger and it's simply learning that it can be a really effective, effective tool. Yes, very, very true. Because in the end of the day, whenever we are stressed or sad or um, in any other altered negative mind state, it's usually because we are not living in the present moment. Because as you said, nine out of 10 of times, you're going to be effectively fine. You're, you're safe, you're fine, you have everything that you need for survival and a relatively okay life at the very least. But because we're stuck in this worry and anxiousness about future, what could happen, thinking, trying to live out life in your head, I always say this very impossible task to do and therefore it creates anxiety because you're trying to control something that is literally out of your control there's no way you can live out right now something in the future that's in your hands so breath is an amazing tool to anchor you back into the present moment totally and what i usually like to share with people is that also understanding of this predicament that we're in right with our nervous system our anxiety going and creating these situations in our minds. And I think it's 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 good to look at it not necessarily as a as a curse that you have to live with for the rest of your life, but actually perhaps changing perspective on it, that it's actually quite an adaptive mechanism of our body to keep us safe, to help us survive, because we as, as a species have evolved for millions of years in a totally different environment. Only in the recent years 
only in recent 150 years, uh, we have been in a place where food is no more a scarce resource. And uh, we're relatively safe in Western world where I'm sure most people will be listening to this. And um, so seeing this as an adaptive mechanism that is serving the function and learning how to work with those mechanisms, learning how to work with the physiology that we have inherited from our ancestors and how we can work with it and how we can leverage it for uh, actually performing well in our modern day situations where sometimes we would need to be on edge, sometimes we do need to be focused and alert and have the adrenaline present in our system. And there are exercises for that as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Is there any 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 one favorite one that you'd like to share? For focus, for mm. or for relaxation. Maybe for relaxation, yeah. Because I think that's more, how should I say, crucial to yeah. know. Because you're avoiding a potentially stressful situation where you might do something in haste or where you're just paralyzed with, with fear or or worry or anxiousness. So one that comes to mind is probably the simplest and most effective to remember is called physiological sigh. So first, when I would share this with people, I would recommend first trying to focus on the body. Instead of just straight away jumping in and starting to do this breathing exercise, actually just taking a moment and grounding oneself. So whether you're sitting on a chair, whether you're standing, but just feeling the support from the surface you are on, first kind of noticing that and bringing your attention into your body. And then it's a simple technique where you inhale in through the nose and you exhale through the mouth or you sigh, right? So it's a long inhale. And ideally with these techniques, you want to start inhalation from your abdomen, from your belly. For some, it might be tricky at first, but with time, you can develop this as a habit, as a, as a, as a skill. But you can rest your hands on your abdomen. Because diaphragm breathing is better than shallow yes. lung breathing. Yeah. So diaphragm is just more effective way of breathing that is, yeah, triggers your nervous system less and keeps you more in this uh, rest and digest kind of state if you breathe more diaphragmatically, mm-hmm. habitually. So basically what you do is uh, two-step inhale, breathing in through the nose. So it's... And sigh out through the mouth. So long inhale. Simple as that. I feel more relaxed. <laughs> and it works quite effectively. And you can do, you know, three, five, ten of those. The main thing I would say not to force the inhale, not to like aggressively breathe in and blow air out, but actually with this attitude towards paying attention to your body, sitting down, relaxing. And as you do those sighs, just imagining your body softening and relaxing and almost melting as you sigh out. And that will be quite an effective tool to do. But again, the more you practice this, the more it becomes um, thing that you can draw upon when you need to. I've had this, um, this in my own life, actually, when a very stressful day would be, um, I would have a very stressful day and I could feel my body changing. I could feel myself tensing up and then naturally and automatically, I would just start the Ujjayi breathing and then, and just, just much, just slow down breathing. And it's incredible how that just brings you back. It's like, if, it's almost visual how I could perceive it. It's like if your thoughts are 
outside of your body and yes. and you are this first because you're following these thoughts then the breath and slowing down the breath almost reels all of those thoughts back in and you feel more in control that's kind of yeah. <laughs> the feeling that i get when i do that and absolutely that's exactly the going back to the first principle i shared about slowing down the exhale because when you do ujjayi breath you're restricting your glottis your throat and creating that sound normally mm -hmm. but also what it does it reduces the amount of air that passes through your airway so it's automatically slower and also because you have that sound in the back of your throat you can actually pay attention to mm -hmm. it and pay attention to slow down the breath and um, that's why it works it's as simple as that so it doesn't have to be anything super complicated yeah if, I mean, what is easier than, than breath, right? And this is the reason why I love it so much and why I wanted to have this episode and share this with people as well, because even though it's getting more and more popular, it's still not known to everybody that that is the super potent, magical, incredible tool that literally everyone has. It's the most accessible superpower that you could have for yourself. And I think we all deserve to know. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's anchored in your physiology. It doesn't have to be anything complicated or, or mystical. It's, it's right there. Exactly. For you to access and use. For you to tap into. Absolutely. So in your own life, has there been a moment where a breath work or a breathing exercise has saved you or pulled you out of a very difficult situation? Yeah, uh, definitely. It was uh, probably one of the early days when I discovered breath work for myself because um, it was a um, challenging situation at the time where I, um, I was still working in the city, quite a busy and stressful job, and I was training jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu on the side, and quite, being quite obsessed with it and training pretty much every day, competing, and uh, using that as a way to escape, escape from work and, and having my break. And also to my detriment, I was overtraining, I was exhausted, and and in one of the competitions, I got injured. So I dislocated my knee. I basically barely could walk. So I was taken out from my, my fix, from my fix of training and, and physical activity and, and pursuit of it. So I was just left with the work that I wasn't particularly enjoying and I was looking for something else. And uh, so I had to face myself. And, and at the time, I already had breathwork practice. I was already practicing pranayama, practicing meditation, mindfulness. At that time, I already heard about Wim Hof and Wim Hof breathing technique combined with cold exposure. And at that time, when I basically was going to work and then stuck at home, barely being able to walk, I decided, hey, now I have time on my hands. Let me try this. So I started practicing the techniques. I started uh, taking cold showers and for me, there was a big surprise and revelation within a week or so, I felt different. I felt what I could describe more content. And that was like a light bulb moment at the time as well. So it wasn't even as much physical as it was mental. Yes. Interesting. And uh, that's when I was like, well, there's something happening here. I, I, I'm still in the same situation. I still can barely walk. I still do exactly where I was a week ago, but I feel more calm, at ease, and uh, accepting of the situation, and, and, and I felt better. That, that why, why, do you think, why do you think cold 
Hey guys, I have a very exciting announcement to make. I've started working with my very first sponsor, and it's none other than, drumroll, Momo Kombucha. Our own London-based, locally produced, healthy and delicious kombucha that I've been a fan of since I first tried it. For those of you who know me, you know that I'm obsessed with my health, but at the same time, I'm a devout foodie, and nothing will make me renounce tasty food and drink. Unfortunately, most delicious drinks are full of sugar and other additives that are not good for your health. This is why I love Momo so much. It's delicious, so it curbs my cravings for snacks and healthy, as it contains loads of probiotics that are great for your gut. If you'd like to try it yourself, use the discount code ISTHISIT15 to get a 15% off of your first order. Again, I think it's also bringing you to the present moment because you are there and you're facing the discomfort of the cold. And also physiologically, I'm sure it's improving different hormonal levels in my body. So cold does help increase norepinephrine and adrenaline, which is stress hormone. But it is important for, uh, for focus, for alertness and, and feeling awake and active. So that, uh, I think, could be one of those things that actually help my brain function better being exposed to a bit of cold and also practicing breathing techniques where I'm focused in the present moment more consistently. So basically you started with the cold showers and then you started incorporating more breathing exercises like the ones that you were trying. And where did that lead you? Because I wanted to ask you, how did you even get into, into breath work as a career? When did, when did this, let's say, interest and perhaps passion at some point become an idea of okay i want to do this professionally yeah so originally by that point i already had been practicing meditation for maybe four or five years just having a you know 10 minute in the morning practice nothing too extreme nothing too intense and uh, with this experience when i discovered one health method when i realized okay there's there's more to it there's not just things i've learned with youtube go to meditation centers but actually there's something here and um, because of this shift, rapid shift that I experienced in myself, in my psychological state, uh, that I didn't really see any way of getting out of at the time. And um, it really sparked my curiosity. So basically at the time I was really interested in investigating it further. So I was more curious to find out if it's real, what is this about, and find out more about this. So I just wanted to investigate and I basically looked up online at the time and I found that there was a instructor training happening and uh, it was first instructor training that uh, was done in English and I was like and first meeting was a weekend in the Netherlands so I was like why not let's let me see spend a weekend with crazy Dutch guy and <laughs> what worse can happen and so yeah that's that, that was the initial basically investigation when I was trying to learn about to find out yeah and I went there Met the guy, learned from him a lot, and um, he, look, he looks very fun. <clears throat> he seems very fun. Yeah, I've done a couple of his courses, and his energy is just uh, not not in person. And his energy is very contagious, and uh, yeah, he just seems so genuine and almost natural in a childlike manner, and present, very present, and just excited about life. Yeah, the childlike childlike manner is amazing. That's what I also enjoyed about him, and. And it was a great experience to meet him in his house, speak to him and learn from him and actually 
but I think yeah, there's something that's, that's, I want to explore this even further and, and beyond in Hoffman, learn more about breathwork, learn about interactions with the cold and body and mind. And that was initial experience. And basically, I returned to London. I um, started teaching the technique to my friends the next day. <laughs> I don't Best best way to remember is yes. to also teach, yes. Exactly, and that seemed to be my usual habit. Uh, when I was learning things, I was just jumping straight into it. And, and a few months later, I just decided, okay, I'll just leave my job, um, leave the stability of it, and without respect, even, without even having any plan, I basically jumped straight into it and tried to figure out as I went along how to teach Wim Hofmann at first, and then learning from different breathwork teachers. Um, learning how to coach people in movement, like personal trainer, and did my yoga teacher training, coaching people, and so it, so it became a massive five-year journey where I would just learn a lot myself and, and try to teach along the way and, and kind of explore different avenues for working with human mind and body. Fascinating. Could you share an experience or a transformation or an impact that learning breathwork has had on one of your clients? That sticks with you. There's um, it's difficult to pinpoint right now one particular experience, but oftentimes I find, especially when they're kind of prolonged breathing practices and techniques, it's almost it's amazing to see change in people's state and how they look and how they speak after these experiences where they just have they're like in awe and really calm. So they oftentimes the calmness of after the experience is it's just amazing and it's a and it's a pleasure for me to be a conduit for holding this experience where people can bring their mind back to themselves and and then kind of get out of this stressed agitated state where they spend most of the time oftentimes and actually come back to this relaxed state where perhaps all these troubles uh, are not doesn't seem such a big deal anymore. That's very powerful. I'm almost thinking at the moment. I've heard so many people having troubles with meditation or starting meditation if they're not familiar. Could it be that it's almost better for them to try and start with breath work because it's easier in a way rather than you know the classic okay sit down for ten minutes and think nothing which is a very bad <laughs> way of instructing people on meditation anyway. But at least with breath work, there's a very clear instruction and you can measure it. You can, you can follow the instruction and see it real time that it works. And just by calming yourself down in that way and bringing yourself to the present moment, which is an automatic consequence of doing breath work, well, unless it's meant to be ecstatic or yeah. energizing, then... Yeah, you see real life results, and then that calms you down and almost primes you to then go into meditation if you keep doing breathing exercises. I agree, and what I find that yeah, exactly, the breathing helps to have a tangible thing to do actually because we're so used to doing stuff all the time, right? So it's difficult just to sit down and be and be right. So breathing is one of those things that can help you do. So then you can come down to the point where you can actually be present with the current state and yes it's more tangible more practical and with time i believe how for me at least practice with breath work has evolved is going from oftentimes going from intensity so it's 
it's useful to start with more of intensive techniques where you can actually feel the difference, feel the buzzing or sensations. And with time to stick with this practice and kind of refine it, it goes towards more subtlety where you can start paying attention to more subtle sensations where you don't need to breathe as heavy or in, as intensely or and with that subtlety you can access more of that meditation state where your mind is a little bit slower you can pay attention to subtle shifts in your body in your physiology in your emotional state and then you are more likely to benefit from meditation or you're more likely to see that there's something in that meditative state and, and pursue it further so it goes in my mind i believe it goes from intensity to subtlety and, and oftentimes jumping in straight into something subtle where you have to pay attention to your breathing just as it is or pay attention to sensation in your body it can be quite difficult yes and if we think about that that could be difficult when it's anchored to your body imagine how difficult it is to just ask people to meditate and have a calm mind just just like that if we're already having difficulties to even get to that stage through body when we're talking about breath so yeah i think i think this is a very valid point to i guess talk about and to destigmatize and almost shed shed a light on that this could be a more helpful progression so breath to meditation to further spiritual revelation or pressure or self-exploration totally and i think also meditation is not easy at all so um, with my own practice i've kind of explored different types of meditation and over the last few years i've been uh, practicing more zen and what does that entail uh it's zen buddhist meditation which is very subtle in a way that there's not much instruction on the, there's not much instruction on what to do there are not like steps you can go through basically just count your breath for at the end of the exhalation right and you count to 10 and you start again so that's the basic instruction and that's all you get and um and then you sit down uh, for a couple of hours and just sit with that so it's so i think oftentimes meditation is presented as this easy thing to do quick fix and um i believe it's uh it can be hard work actually it is actually it's really profound practice to have and to do and i cannot recommend it highly enough but um, it is hard work and for someone just beginning it might be too much or unnecessary and because i think important is consistency and sticking with it right mm -hmm. there's no no use of trying it once and never repeating again but i firmly believe this can benefit so many people so starting with something that is easy practical applicable and then with time refining it and going more deeper into harder practices or more confronting practice like sitting down and just observing the breath observing the sensations in the body can be profound and this just takes a bit of time to get there very valid to to share this that it's not it's not an easy feat uh because a lot of people i've heard they feel so guilty and they feel inadequate because they're unable to achieve this bliss as soon as they sit down and close their eyes because there almost seems to be this expectation that you would and certainly people that I've spoken to 
they feel like they should be able to do that. But, you know, most of the times they're not. And then, then this practice actually becomes something detrimental to them because they wanted to do something great for them. Now they just feel guilty and, yes. and bad about themselves. So, yes, definitely, definitely um, people shouldn't. People shouldn't and just ease their ways into that, into meditation and see it as a long-term journey and long-term practice that you get better and better at with time. And as you said, also just showing up. So rather than doing one hour once a month, (laughs) just doing starting at least with, you know, 10 minutes a day or five minutes a day. So with five minutes a day, everyone can get five minutes, right? Uh, and maybe from at the back of what we just said, maybe start with breath work and just observe your body. And that is your initiation to meditation. That's your entry. Totally. And even reading books on meditation, on Zen, the blissful state is not the point. Or it's not necessarily the, the thing. You don't necessarily chase a state of some sort. You're basically trying to... Pay attention to your breath, bring your attention every time your mind wanders, bring it back, bring it back. And and if you have blissful experience, that's besides the point. It's all about the practice and showing up there and, and all the benefits almost accrue over time that you notice in your day-to-day life, not necessarily in a blissful, ecstatic state when you meditate. And, and having been on meditation retreats with other experienced meditators who have been meditating for longer than I have been alive, they talk about how their mind wanders. They talk about how little time out of those hours they capture this. Or, I won't even say capture or find, because that entails making it happen. But when, you know, somehow things align and they slip into this state where it's effortless and easy and it's blissful and, and oftentimes quite brief. And, uh, and it's a relief having gone on these long retreats and spoken with people that they are still practicing that's why it's practice it's not it's not a goal yeah it's a it's a it's a continuous practice it's very very true and when i find myself sometimes in the morning okay i don't have time for this i don't have time for this but then i and and i feel good these are the most tricky days when you feel great it's everything's fabulous like oh i don't need this i'm fine i'm great i don't need no practices but then i need to remind myself that no this is me filling my cup this is me doing the same as the gym. This is this is my mind gym. <laughs> so it's not it's not something that okay you'll see results in a day or two or you won't see any differences if you skip a couple of days. But it's about showing up. It's about showing yourself that that is something that you're willing to invest in. That you are something that you're willing to invest in every single day. Yeah. Accumulated accumulated effect for sure. And it's a skill you're building, skill you're building to deal with your mind. And I think that's an important skill to have, right? Because that's the only tool we have to interact with the world around us, right? Our minds. And um, having a bit of practice can go a long way to, to be more effective at dealing with it. And, and having that is really useful to have it in it daily routine where you start the day and, and you practice regularly and you can refine that and develop that and uh, over time it, it, it shows the benefits not only in 
in that particular moment, but also in the day-to-day -day life, you can start becoming more calm and grounded. Which is something that we all, I think, want. <laughs> so, my favorite question to ask. What is your purpose, Arthur? What is my purpose? That's a good question. I don't, actually, in recent years, I've stopped trying to ask myself this question. And I think... Why is that? In a way that I think it's something that changes over time. So, at different times in life, purpose is different for me. I, I believe for me it's... Right now, for me, purpose is, or my focus is on growing, learning, developing progress, right? Over maybe in a few years, it can be something different. How did you get to that point of this being the purpose for me? Or your definition of it? Yeah, I think over time, it actually, a lot of it has been informed through meditation and through these longer intensive retreats where actually I started to see that there is no purpose. There is no particular thing I must do or I must discover who am I, what I should be doing in this world. And, and I realized that alleviated so much pressure of me, of needing to be something, needing to do something productive and, and, and have some sort of identity around my purpose. And that was a relief not to need purpose slash identity and just be okay with ordinariness and be ordinary and kind of start noticing how extraordinary ordinary things are, just how miraculous life is. And that helped me to kind of let go of me to have a purpose. And so basically I don't have purpose, but if I would have to define what my focus is on right now is it's progress, it's learning, it's but not necessarily to be able to tell myself that I have some sort of worth and application in this in this world. Very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. This is the first time I hear this answer and I really like it. I'm internalizing this right now. And this is why, I mean, this is why I do this. This is why this podcast exists, right? Uh, to share, to share knowledge, to share experience. And I think your, the understanding that you've come to in regards to your relationship with the word purpose is something that could serve a lot of people as well. I don't think it's right or wrong. It's just, no, no, I believe the world's that, a big place, right? So I believe we just discovered for ourselves. Yeah. And because and I, I really think in our culture, in our purpose-driven society, oftentimes there can be a lot of pressure, especially in young people, to discover what's their purpose. And if at an early age you don't discover your talents or ability or, or become an athlete or become a musician or become a, I don't know, choose a career at the early stage, it, it seems like people can get lost. And I've, I've certainly been lost. And at times I'm still lost. But now I'm learning to accept that as a fact and and accept the, that it all changes. There's all grows and, and it's all about only constant that we experience is change. Yes, definitely taking off the unnecessary pressure from ourselves can be beneficial and ultimately actually put you on the path that you've intuitively always wanted to be on. I guess letting go, yeah, letting go of the expectations from yourself but still maintaining the focus, but still maintaining the effort and still pursuing things and doing things in the world. Yeah. Right? It's not the surrender in a way that you give up on everything and so you still do things, but potentially try not to overthink too much mm. and have a definition. So 
in my mind, oftentimes it's better to jump in and start doing things and discover your purpose as you go along instead of trying to work it out. In your head and then try to execute that. And it's always going to be different in your life than it was yeah. in your head. Always guaranteed. Yet people seem to be always upset that it's not exactly like they thought yes. about it in their yeah. heads. That's quite weird if you think about it. <laughs> so Arthur, if I asked you to share with me three very precious lessons that you've picked up over the years, what would you tell me? That's a good question. Precious lesson. Actually, one that's been really impactful for me at an early age. I've, um, and I think it still carries through a lot. I, um, at the time I was, I think, 15 or 16, I, um, I didn't particularly do well in school. I didn't particularly pay attention much and I wasn't very academic or interested in kind of organized education. And through that experience, I had the impression that I'm not particularly good at anything. I'm kind of average and pretty bad at most things, right? And that sort of boxing can make yes. you feel that way. And it does for many students. Absolutely. And I was in a place where I was yeah, not performing well in education. I didn't see the future. I didn't really think about the future. I was, and I think even at the time, I probably thought of myself as lazy or as purposeless, right? And at the time, I discovered martial arts. And there was kickboxing first at that age. And I remember I started, and I wasn't particularly athletically gifted or good at it or flexible or strong or fast, but I remember just showing up and I remember starting to train with several of my friends and a few months in, I was the only one left still showing up for training. I was just continuing to show up and do the, do the stuff and do it again and again and uh, without particular expectation or talent, right? I didn't think I was talented in any way. I was just... At this point, I don't know why I was showing up, I was still doing it, but I remember distinctly kind of light bulb went off in my mind when someone said, oh, you're talented at this. I was like, well, that was, that was When did that happen? When, yeah, exactly. When I wasn't, I'm not like my, my belief is that I'm not talented at anything in particular, but, and I think that was a shift in my mindset where I realized, hey, if I put in time and energy and effort and focus in something that I choose to put in energy, I suddenly, magically, word talent appears to describe me. And I think that's something, that's a lesson that I carried through the rest of my life, even though maybe I wouldn't be best at something, but I knew that if I choose something that I want to do, that I have particular interest in, my only ability, my only talent is put in consistent effort and consistently showing up and doing it. And, and then suddenly people start saying, I'm good at this, I'm like, well, I never was, but this probably is the biggest experience, biggest lesson that carried me through. And even now, when I oftentimes attempt to jump in into something new that I haven't done in the past, or I do it, and for better or for worse, only way how to do it, and I know is just do it. consistently applying effort and just and, uh, persistence. And that was probably the biggest lesson I had through martial arts. Very precious. Is there anything else? Any others that stuck with you mm. that you'd like to share? Any others? No, not right now. I'd hard to think of anything else. <laughs> that was that was a very good one, don't worry. It's, yeah. it's almost worth through. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, another thing, the audience probably doesn't know at this point, but you're a fellow Latvian. Yes. Sveiki. <laughs> Sveiki. <laughs> and which is 
obviously very rare. We are we are a rare specimen. Yes. Two million people in Latvia? Or is it less, less now? Less than that, yeah. Let me not, let, let's not even get into that. But uh, my curiosity, personal curiosity, are you ever thinking about going back? Do you do you miss it? Do you see yourself living in Latvia? Potentially, yeah. Yeah, I see myself living in Latvia. And to be honest, I actually did go back to Latvia uh, a couple of years back. Mm -hmm. So at the end of How long have you been abroad? I've been abroad for, for long. I've been in London for about eight years, but before that I lived in Denmark for four. Mm -hmm. So quite a while. It's been a long time. And at the end of 2021, I decided to move back to Latvia because I was, at the time I was just traveling, working remotely, teaching in different countries. So I thought I might as well set up a base back in Latvia. And um, you know, went there uh, with no intention to return to London, apart from short stints for work and teaching and different events. And I spent some time there and and in a couple of months I had to return to London to teach. And uh, I came back and after all the lockdowns were coming to an end, I realized actually there's so much things happening here. And I realized that actually I do love this active lifestyle, this, that things are always happening. And mm -hmm. And I felt at that moment, I realized actually it's not the time yet to settle down to or to live in a quieter place. I still enjoy working, still enjoy doing things, still enjoy meeting amazing people that you can meet in London. And uh, But it was really useful few months to spend in Latvia in a way that I wasn't there just for a holiday or for visiting family, but I was there without a return ticket. Mm -hmm. And that allowed me to actually see that I could live here. And in a way that it was it almost as if until then I could I felt like I could live anywhere in the world, but living in Latvia would be difficult because I come from there and it feels like I've, I've I'm from there, but I've been away for so long, so I'm not really fitting in anymore. But then after spending a couple of months, I realized actually I could live here too, and I could live anywhere. So it actually almost in a in a funny way, in a reverse way, freed me up to feel free anywhere and even even in Latvia. Very interesting. I ask this because I oftentimes have this nostalgia and this longing for home and the seaside and the countryside and the forests and everything else. And so I almost um, romanticize yeah. going back, right? But then again, as just as yourself, I also absolutely love. I love the city. I love the the people that you can meet, the opportunity, the possibility, the variety of, of every, everything, and so many things happening. So. Yeah, a very, uh, very similar situation. And I think it's also a very precious experience that you got from that trip, which is this notion that you can literally be anywhere, make yourself feel at home anywhere, which makes me immediately think about, you know, that proverb, which is, if you're not happy here, you're not going to be happy there. Yeah. So it's almost if you find happiness wherever you are, then you just carry it with you and to be fine anywhere. Totally. And nothing is forever, right? So you can, who knows, maybe you decide to move to Latvia or to any, any other country and decide to settle and be there forever and ever, but things change and then you just move Chances again. Chances are! <laughs> right? No. And just this ability, this ability to just accept things that they are and accept the change, constant change, and not necessarily be attached to this is the choice I've made and this is the only choice I've made. And not changing my mind, so changing my mind is, I think, it's good sometimes. Yeah, having that fluidity and flexibility. Very, very true. I, I, I know this from my own personal experience, especially 
previously in my past when I was younger, I was so this or that, like black or white, zero hundred. And I'm still working with that, right? But but I have these tendencies. So even to hear this, that's that's very relevant to myself to just know that whatever is happening right now, I keep reminding this to myself, whatever is happening right now, whatever I'm deciding now, it's 100% chance not going to stay that way forever. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so just relax. Just relax and let, let things flow. That's true. So I like to finish the episode with a question. Which is, what is your recipe for happiness? My recipe for happiness? I guess I've been giving quite a contrarian answers throughout this interview, <laughs> so I'll probably do another one. Okay, go ahead. I think recipe for happiness is not searching for happiness. Because I think oftentimes when we try to pin it down or define it or look for this almost hedonic definition of happiness and joy, it uh, can be detrimental because we're... Because if we're searching for happiness or we're so focused on happiness, we also, because it's impossible to be happy 100% of the time. So those times where we are, unha are unhappy, we'll be very much aware that we are unhappy because we're so much focused on being happy. So I find, for me, the recipe for happiness is finding things that I like and I enjoy doing and stay focused on those things. Stay focused on the things that give me a sense of satisfaction, a sense of purpose in a way that I'm pursuing something bigger than me, something outside of me and trying to create something in the world, not just for myself, but for others and and use that as an anchor for my, for my attention, for my thoughts. And then with that focus on creating and, and uh, things outside of me helps me more often than not find myself, I feel happy. Perfect. Thank you. What would you tell my audience if you had the chance to give them a message? A message to your audience that you have everything that you need. Everything is within you. All the abilities and characteristics and, and resilience and focus and everything is within you already. So it's just a matter of tapping into that resource and not necessarily finding something outside of yourself or learning from someone outside of yourself, getting advice from someone outside of yourself, but actually trusting that you have everything that you need within you already. It's just a matter of rediscovering and, and believing it. Thank you. Hello, friends. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe and share it with someone. I would love to hear your feedback and suggestions as to what guests you'd like to see in the show next. See you next week.